welcome all of our guests here today. Thank you for being here. Let's welcome everybody. Would you do that? If you're a guest at New Life, if this is your first or second time, we're so honored that you're here. We thank you for being here. And just so you know, um, we are passionate about the things of God. And we pray the Lord's help upon your life. Amen. Thank you to the choir for singing so wonderfully. Leading us in worship. I plan on wearing the carpet out. Now I want to tell you, don't think just because we walked in to the new house on the first day that, that I am in no way more calm than I was last week or the week before because I will literally start a fire on this platform and burn something down. <laughs> I like a nice pair of shoes, but I, don't, I will mess them up because nothing's going to get in the way of me and my worship to God. It don't matter to me. You can buy another, another set of clothes, but what you can't buy is the moment that you have the opportunity to worship God. You cannot replace that. Amen. Amen. I've got to get to the word here. And I'm reading from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And We'll just read from verse number four, and I have a few verses in your hearing today. Amen. First Kings 19 and verse four. Are you ready? This is speaking of Elijah, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came, sat down under a juniper tree. <clears throat> he requested for himself that he might die. <laughs> well, it's pretty sad. And the prophet said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him, said, rise, eat. Look, behold, there was a, a cake. It was on a, on a fire. He didn't make it. There was some water right next to his head. He, he ate, he drank, and he went back to sleep. The angel of the Lord came again the second time, touched him, woke him up, said, Get up, eat. Your journey is too great for thee. <laughs> he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of the met of that meat 40 days and 40 nights until he went to the Mount of God. But here is the downfall. He went into a cave and he set up a house in the cave 
And God came to say, what are you doing here, Elijah? Amen. And I preach today after the fire. Amen. Now, Jesus, we need your help today. I pray the glory of God in this house. I pray for all the men and women, the children. Let there be understanding. Open up our minds and hearts to understanding. Take away every distraction. Your word is high. It's lifted up. We need it in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray for commitment today. I pray that the people that have walked in this house will walk in here every Sunday from now until Jesus comes. Let it be, Lord. Let there be an outbreak of faithfulness. In Jesus' name. And all the people said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When you're there, put your Bibles on your lap and clap your hands unto the Lord, all the people of God. Just a few paces, and we need not look too far. We'll be inside the domain of God's realm. You'll see many men and women of faith. They hold the banner of obedience and authority. Their attributes are embraced as an example for the ages to come. Hebrews chapter 11 will host so many of them. But at last, the writer simply says, and I quote, And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell. So many profound people walking in faith and seeking the direction of the voice. The 21st century church stands in reverence for those who, and I quote, through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the fire, the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, and they were desolate and afflicted and tormented, and of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, dens, caves of the earth. They had the courage to do what was not in their best interest, but what propelled the kingdom of God. And that seems to be the baseline definition of kingdom-minded people. Kingdom-minded people means you're doing what moves the kingdom without consideration of yourself. It is the abandonment of the person in favor of the whole. Not just any whole, but the whole of God's will. We are going to be kingdom-minded people, and it may not be in our best interest. Amen. But it's going to be in the kingdom's interest. Not everything that propels the church forward will benefit me personally. But if it benefits the kingdom of God, that's what I want to do. I wonder if I've got some kingdom-minded people in this house today. Amen. 
These men and women who occupied the Bible script were also flawed and they were imperfect. They moved by faith and yet at times they recoiled in fear. And while we rejoice in their victory, we also look clear-eyed to the reality of their deficits. This is not to lower the bar or to find some excuse for our own hang-ups and inefficiencies, but it does give us direction and purpose and insight into our own lives. I've been here long enough to have heard many self-declarations of good things to be done or righteous endeavors, only to see that in time, the people who made those boasts could not live up to their own perceived good works. So when I tell you that the scripture is for us, it is not just for us to boast in the wonder of those who went before us, but also to give us a soberness and a balance in this life. We've got to become kingdom-minded. We've got to become kingdom-minded. And kingdom-minded people will do things that confound the world. They'll say, why are you doing that? And you'll know the world cannot understand what we're doing. But in the kingdom of God, we're going to do great things. And God's going to bless a lot of people. And we might not even know all the things that we're accomplishing. But in the realm of heaven, we're going to know it. Amen. Here's your scripture. All these things happen unto them. They're examples for us. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And so here I am in your text of this great and profound prophet Elijah. He's given the task of judgment upon the nation of Israel. Sin has caused a two year plus long drought that afflicts the land. The opening lines of 1 Kings reads like this. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. But Elijah was blamed for the parched ground, yet it was the sin of the nation that caused their calamity. The prophet will make an offer to many of Israel's leaders and to many of the people. They will convene on Mount Carmel for a showdown between Elijah and the hired prophets of Baal and of Jezebel. King Ahab is standing in his chariot atop that mountain, I suppose, to witness the end of something of the which he cannot know or explain. He has no resolution in his hand, only blame and weakness. But the prophet Elijah rises up to the challenge, and he challenges them all. If we read some of these passages with a critical thought, it might be easy for us to get lost in the details of what happened there. To the analytical mind, it is often trapped in the temporal. It looks natural in so many ways, but at Mount Carmel... It was, all in all, a spiritual battle. It wasn't just 450 false prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Jezebel. Nor was simply the proposition of loyalty that Elijah asked the people. This was a spiritual crossroads with generations and generations to come affected. Implications far beyond Mount Carmel. Think now, ladies and gentlemen. What looks natural to your eyes may actually be a crossroad of decision. It's a spiritual decision. We are in that place today. Right now, this morning, on this Sunday, on October the 8th, we are in this place. It looks natural. 
maybe, perhaps. It looks like a transition from one building to another building, from one space to another space. Maybe a readjustment of where we're going to sit and what we're going to do and how we're going to function. But I submit to you today, something of greater magnitude is taking place right now in this moment in our lives, in this city, in this legal county, and in all the surrounding counties. Something is quaking right now today. You may not be able to see it, but if you can't see it, just for a moment, trust pastor. There is a spiritual thing that's happening. It's a spiritual transaction, and I know the devil knows what's going on, maybe even more than any of us know. Wherever you are, you ought to shout praises to God and clap your hands unto the Lord. You're in a spiritual battle right now. Whether or not you know it or not, there is a spiritual thing that's happening today. feel it's in the Holy Ghost. I couldn't sleep for the last five days. I left, I left a church service in Pennsylvania on Friday night. And when I, when I was done and put the microphone down, I just went over to the side. I was watching pastors and preachers lay prostrate on the floor. They were crying out to God. They were seeking the Lord. When we got done with that, with that, with that service, there were people that were seeking God. There were ministers and pastors. Over to my left, there was a pastor's wife who began to pray, and she began to pray in the Holy Ghost. I've never heard anything like it. And when she got done, everybody knew the Lord had just spoken, and another pastor in the back row stood up and he began to speak with other tongues and he, he began to he began to prophesy and give direction and I knew if it wasn't for anybody else it was for me I didn't go there to tell them something I went there so God could tell me something and I'm bringing it back to you there will be a power you gotta keep the way you gotta keep in the path there's gonna be revival there's gonna be a spiritual fight and this is a spiritual moment I think it's time to break this thing in. This is not just a new building. This is the house of God. There will be a Holy Ghost revival. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. But without the Holy Ghost, nothing nothing matters. We got to have a Holy Ghost revival. It's a spiritual day. It's a Holy Ghost day. I feel led in the Holy Ghost a dual movement happening. It's a rejoicing of the provisions, and we thank God for the provisions. Thank God for the provisions. Thank God. You don't have to tell me. I'd invite somebody, but there's no place to sit. That was the first building when we put out 120 metal chairs every Sunday and and picked them up because there was no altar space. Anybody remember that? It was the last building when you had to get there early and you put your shawl, your blankets, your pillows, everything down on the pew so you could find a seat. I think it's still happening. I heard that was still happening. 
You're without excuse. You can get all your family, your neighbors, your friends. You can get people you like and people you don't like. There's enough room in the building. And we got other chairs that can occupy. We got a lot more space. And you need to bring everybody that you can. That we are without excuse. Thank God for the provisions. I'm, I'm a little crazy. Okay. I was crazy yesterday. and I'll be running the aisles tomorrow. We're going to have a revival. See these, see these two folks in the second row, mom and dad, Harpole? My father prayed for Mother Burgess, whose spine had deteriorated from cancer. My father and the men, we had no concrete men in our church. But we had men that thought they could do concrete. And YouTube was not around. And they built a concrete ramp off the side of the building. And looking back, it was not pretty. It was not formed correctly, but it could get you up into the building if you had a wheelchair. The front of the church had steps. The side of the church had a, had a ramp. This is how we did it back in Troy, Missouri. Wheel them up in the ramp, walk them out the front door after church is over. That's how we roll. That's what we do here at New Life. Wheel them in and walk them out. Bring them in and set them free and let them go praising. Bring them in bound and let them walk with their hands up in the air. It's a Holy Ghost transaction. And I know that none of you believe this, but I'm just going to say it out there. If anyone thinks for a moment... That I'm satisfied. Uh-oh, nope. The burden just got bigger because I see an empty seat. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. We're going to canvas. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. We're going to have a Holy Ghost move of God. Someone's going to be set free in Jesus' name. So we're thankful for the pr provisions. We could have postponed all of this. But we thought, let's put together a gymnasium and a family life center, a place for people to go. And right now, the sanctuary you worshipped in two weeks ago is already being renovated. We're going to keep our holiness standards in that gymnasium. And we're going to try to keep a good attitude. But if you don't have a good attitude, at least you dress right. All right, there may be a few fights, black eyes, bloody noses, but at least you look good while you're doing it. We ain't giving up on anything. Let them brawl. Just make sure that you have long pants on when you do it. <laughs> That's right. I can't change your attitude. Only Jesus can. <laughs> Amen. All right. We're thankful for that. It's going to be an awesome thing. That whole building is going to be taken over. Do you not know what's happening in your public schools today? Do you know how many teachers are, 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 are now, they're, they're changing their entire look, what they're teaching at the public school system? It's indoctrination. It's not about math or science or reading. It's about indoctrination into a world that's corrupt and against the scripture. Do you think that the Pentecostals are the only ones who know this? The Baptists have known this a long time, and they've been working on, on making sure their children are following the word of God. We're just Johnny-come-latelys. It's time for us to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, just like the Jewish people have been doing for the last 4,000 years. 
So whatever the sacrifice is, make the sacrifice. You'll be happy because chances are you got a higher chance of keeping me in the Lord and keeping him out of jail. All right. <laughs> Amen. I'm in my place. I'm rejoicing. I'm thankful. But there's also a soberness in purpose. There's two things happening in my spirit. And we cannot lose our purpose, ladies and gentlemen. You see, Elijah is standing alone. No one is holding up his hands. There is no quorum of astute men standing shoulder to shoulder, giving him an echo or an amen corner. There are no mighty men of valor by his side, ready to defend whatever he says. Perhaps just a lowly servant somewhere off in the peripheral. And maybe if it was just false prophets, maybe that would have been enough for him. But the people who gathered on Mount Carmel were non-committal. Elijah will ask, who's on the Lord's side? Who will you serve? Will you serve God or Baal? Who's with me? And no one answered, not one of them. They just stared at him. They answered him, not a word. The challenge is given like none other. Elijah is proving the power of the Lord, the likes of which none of them had ever seen. The God of fire shows up. The God of fire is invoked. And what a wonder the Lord is. Pure power. You've never seen pure power. Because God is completeness. The magnificence of his inexhaustible attributes is held in the hand of this powerful prophet. It's mind-bending. That Elijah can pray. God send fire. There's nothing like it. The skies hold no rain, but falling fire has its own allure. It's a spiritual transaction. Go do that if you can. See, religion can't do that. If we are just religious, we are failing. Denominations cannot do that. It can't produce that. We all began as an experience and not a denomination. Intellectualism, I love it. Great, read a book. Tradition, that's fine. It gives us memory. Talent, I hope the Lord has endued you with that. But none can send fire from heaven, only God. Here, pastor today, we can build an altar, but we cannot make fire fall from heaven. We need the hand of the Lord. We've got to have the hand of the Lord. we got to have the power of the Lord. It's the power of the Lord that's going to transform your family. It's the power of the Holy Ghost that's going to make you brand new and take away the things. It's only the Holy Ghost that can transform us. And when the fire falls, everything that once was natural or temporal suddenly becomes spiritual and eternal. You can manufacture almost anything, but you cannot turn water into wine, and you cannot divide a Red Sea, and no one to date can make fire fall from the sky. Elijah built up the broken down altar, and when he dug the trench around the altar just to make sure there was no basis for the critic, the only help he was given that day was when they poured water on his sacrifice. Yeah, just like the crowd. No verbal affirmation, but they're willing to pour water on your effort. And then while they all watched, he prays. They are in a proverbial position of folded arms and waiting for his, his word. And this attending prophet is there. They have no idea who they're looking at. Layered with the, with, with the gravitas of the undaunted, he stands before them and he prays. 
Elijah looks like the unshakable stalwart for an uncertain nation. He looks invincible, preaching and prophesying and challenging the people and fighting falsehoods and refuting the debauchery of a carnal king, Ahab. And not only does he call fire down from heaven, but he has enough faith and fortitude to look for a change in those same skies. And upon hearing the meager report from his servant, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah responds like this, and I hear the sound of abundance of rain. What a man, he's in a class all by himself. Nor devil or king or spectator or deficit or opposing prophet have ever overwhelmed him. The wherewithal to thwart that powerful Elijah movement. He is an amazing prophet. But every spiritual movement comes at a cost. Don't ever think that a moment that you strive for the, for the kingdom will come with ease. Your spiritual victory won't always leave you stronger. Sometimes it will leave you weaker. Yes, that woman with an issue of blood in the Gospels had spent all she had, the Bible says. It, it's, it indicates that perhaps she had some money. She spent what she could have. It could have been a life savings. The doctors, however, held no cure. The Bible says she was nothing bettered. She heard that Jesus was coming by, and she said, If I could but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. It was a woman spent trying to live, full of faith because there was nothing left. I must touch him, she said. And in the middle of that crowd, she pushes her way through and lay hands on what probably was the zeet zeet, the fringes of this powerful incarnate God. And immediately, the Bible says that healing flowed through her body. But what happened to Jesus at that time? She touched him, this incarnate God, fully God and fully man, the very ancient of days, vested in the temple frame of humanity. What happened to him? The Bible says that virtue went out of him. More literally, strength left his mortal body. Power and energy left his frame. It was an immediate change. A spiritual victory had been won in the life of a dying woman, and it came at a cost to the physical strength of Jesus Christ. Here's your Bible. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? It was more than a casual brush, some pressing crowd, some pushing or shoving. Even the disciples said, Lord, you see all the people around you, thronging you, crowding you. Oh, why would you want to know who touched me? Everybody's touched you. Oh, no, no, no. Everybody has pressed up against me, but only one touched me. Because her touch was intentional. It was the cry of her heart. It was desperation. And in response to it, virtue flowed out of the Lord. Perhaps by their own interpretation... The great artist of the world, Caravaggio, and other artisans have painted the scene in still motion. I've seen them. Jesus catching himself, owning back this touch, this victory, her healing. It took his breath away. He leans back against another disciple. He's weak now in his physical body. Call it what you will, but the spiritual battle, fire falling and rain in abundance and spiritual victories all come at a cost by both resistance from the enemy and a depletion of our physical frame and emotional strength. So before we denounce the cave mentality that the prophet makes his way to, it might serve us well to know that Elijah had just waged a very spiritual battle on Mount Carmel with unique victories and profound results, but it came through a fight of his own body. He fought through the silence of the saints. He fought through the hours 
given to Baal and false prophets almost the entire day. They danced around their altar. He, he, he fought the crowd still gawking on the sideline. And then by himself, he built up a broken down altar of stone. And he went to pray by himself. And he stared into the eyes of King Ahab, one of the most ruthless kings of his time. And he fought against 850 wicked prophets of Baal and of the grove and of Jezebel in a very literal way. He will help kill all of them. And upon hearing the threats of Ahab's domineering wife Jezebel, she said, tomorrow I'm going to kill you. Elijah just grew tired. And that's when the Lord sent an angel after the fire. As lofty it might have been, people become weary in their spirit. They might have explained the abundance of rain. Maybe everyone could have talked about that. Well, it was just time. But no one could explain away the fire. They might have made a case for the wind, the storm, the clouds, the torrent downpour. But the falling of fire separated them from all the rest. But after it was over, weakness afflicts the prophet and fear sets in. And his body is caught in weariness. Well-doing, ladies and gentlemen, can end in weariness. While the purpose still remains, people become weary. The purpose of the kingdom still is at hand. The purpose was to turn the nation of Israel back to Yahweh. And the fire was just a sign of the Lord's power and presence. But the task now comes after the fire. The purpose remains. There must be worship in the house. The purpose remains. We are not done yet. Rest a moment. Get replenished a moment because there must be worship in this house and that means sacrifice. There must be praise in this house. Every place I've been in, if the walls could talk, they would be shouting out praises to God. It's time that we saturate these concrete walls, this carpet, and every seat with the praises of God. If where you're sitting could talk, if the rocks could cry out, if your seat could cry out, it ought to be echoing your praises to God. Let's start right now. We praise you, Lord. I praise you in the good times and the bad times. I praise you when I'm up and when I'm down. I praise you, Lord, because of what you have done. I give you glory and praise because what you're going to do. Your seat, your area ought to echo after the fire. You got to keep on pressing and you got to keep on praising. We are not done yet. We just begun. I'm going to give you a moment. Just give him praise. Out of your mouth. Speak it out of your mouth. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're standing, speak it out of your mouth. I praise you, Lord. I praise you. For your mighty works. For your excellent greatness. Come on, say it. For your excellent greatness. For the wonder of your hand. For the wonder. Put, put, up, put up Psalm 150. Let's just do it together. Psalm 150. Let's put it up together. Here we go. We're, we got to do this today. We're going to saturate this place. No, no, no. No, we are not done. We've just begun. There's going, there will be praise. There will be praise from you, from me. There will be praise. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm getting it, but put it up on the screen if you got it. Are you ready? Psalm, Psalm 150. You just get out your Bibles. We, we, got, we got to do this together because we're going to saturate this place with praise. There will be praise in this house. There will be praise. I refuse to let the enemy do us harm. There will be praise. I don't want to preach a sermon. I want to have a move of God. I've got to have, I've got to have praise in this house. I've got to kick open the door of all the looking and say, hey, we're going to praise the Lord. Okay, put, are you ready? Are you ready? 
Here we go. We're, we're working out the kinks, brother. Brother Broadstreet said it. We're working out the kinks. Psalm 150. Oh, here we go. I see the altar. I see the blank screen. I see the back of myself. Oh, man, I'm losing my hair up there. Gosh, I didn't notice that. I had high hopes. Okay. Brother McLeod, sorry. You're over. Okay, here we go. You ready? Wait a second. Wait. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Here we go. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Hey! Wait a second. I thought, I thought I welcomed you to the sanctuary and the Bible says praise God in his sanctuary. Okay, do it again. Praise God in his sanctuary. I will lift my voice and praise you, Lord, in the sanctuary of the Most High. Are you ready? Praise him for his mighty acts. Has the Lord ever done any mighty thing in your life? Praise him according. Praise him for his mighty acts. You didn't know what his act was? I'll give you act one. He spoke the worlds into existence. I'll give you act two. He breathed the breath of life into Adam. I'll give you, I'll give you his act three. He made an abundance of rain. He made the skies. He made the nation. I'll give you the next act. He sent his prophets. I'll give you the last act. The Lord is going to come back. He gave us the church. All right. Come, 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 come. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Name above all names. Worthy of our praise. My heart will sing how great the excellent greatness of your majesty. Oh, oh, I praise you. You are excellent. No man can stand before you. None of us have it together. Woe is me. Consider my Consider us, Lord. Have mercy on us all. Okay. Praise him. Now, what, well, I don't have a trumpet player here. Uh, Tony Lutz was my trumpet player. Can can you can you do that? Uh, anyone? No. Uh, any relation to the trumpet? Scotty was my trumpet player. My brother was the trumpet player. Well, we'll just use the keyboard here. You got a, You got a trumpet sound on there, Roman? Huh? What do you got? Thing costs five thousand dollars. You should have at least one trumpet on that thing. What do you got? <laughs> 
Our Lord, that whole ladies' auxiliary department who made all the peanut brittle just gave it away right there. You got no trumpet? Hey, what happened to my scripture? Well, we're doing the whole Psalm 150. Put the scripture back up here. What, what's happening? Psalm 150, verse 3. We're only on verse 3. I don't have my glasses, but I do know there's six verses in this chapter. We're halfway home. Praise him with this. What do you got? Oh, that's a no. It's all right. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the high sounding cymbals. Forget about that, Roman. Go to something much cooler. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Hey, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. We cannot afford to get into the cave. Don't go to the cave. God gave you fire. He gave you Holy Ghost. He gave you victory. He gave you miracles. You cannot get to the cave. If you need a little rest, that's okay. He'll provide the rest. But we can't go to the cave. There's still work to be done. to walk out today I want us to walk out with our heads lifted up we have just begun the work of the kingdom of God we're thankful we're rejoicing but there's a burden on me and the Lord spoke to me while I'm dancing I'm going to keep the burden while I'm rejoicing I'm going to keep focus on the field and the people And here's the end of the chapter. This is so that no one is exempt. If you're here, it probably means that you're alive. If you don't know, your breath, the breath of life, is the indication that you're alive. And this is what the psalmist said. Let everything, 
Now that does not ex- that does not exclude uh, 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 the animals. That does include all the creatures of the earth, but they have their own way of praising God, I suppose. But I believe that that probably specifically, this is for the creature made in His image, for the people. <laughs> with a living soul because when Adam was created God breathed in him and made him the breath of God made him a living soul so I think this this means people means everybody you don't have to have an understanding of who Jesus is you don't even have to proclaim yourself to be a Christian but if you have breath you ought to praise the Lord let everything that have breath that means it's for you and for everybody around you And I want to saturate this place in praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.